clear that Jesus was the one who said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if that's true, which I've concluded it is, then we are in a relationship that brings us freedom. If that's true, then we are in a relationship that brings us hope. Didn't you love uh, H's little one-liner in her video uh, where she said, I traveled home with hope in my luggage. How beautiful. I traveled home with hope in my luggage. And because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we travel with hope in our luggage. And in fact, we should be paying an excess baggage load for the amount of hope that we carry. If Jesus, uh, what Jesus said is true, then we can know peace, we can know love, we know right standing with God, we can know life in all of its fullness. We certainly have hope in our luggage. And if all that is true, then it's a message of good news, isn't it? And when you discover good news, we have a burden of responsibility to share the good news that we have discovered. There's a burden of responsibility to tell others the thing that we've come to know or we've come to experience. It's sometimes referred to as the ethics of good news. If you discover something good, then you have a responsibility to share it. And as a church family here at CBC, I think it's a very exciting time to be church family. It's exciting to see what God has been doing amongst us. And as a community, we are 100% committed to telling the world the thing that we've come to discover and know to be true. In fact, telling others is in our our Baptist DNA. In fact, forget the Baptist bit. It's in our DNA as followers of Jesus to tell others about the good news. Our vision statement as a church says lots of things, but one of the things it says is this, that we long for CBC to be a church where the Great Commission to share our faith is lived out in the lives of members and attendees. The starting point with our vision is that we would love God, that we would love our others. The end point is that we would um, fulfill the, the great priority, that we would live out the priorities of Jesus in our lives. But somewhere in the middle of all of that is this desire for the Great Commission to share the good news with others. Our little mission strapline, which has been around for years and we've never changed it because it is that good, says, know it, live it, share it. Know it, live it, Share it, share it. At least one third of our stated reason for existence as a church is about sharing. One third of our statement. And then we have a whole load of value statements, which we speak on every now and again. They're on our website if you want to look at all of them. And underneath the share it label, so we've got know it, live it. And then under the share it label, it says that we will increasingly be a community where everyone is equipped and resourced to serve. Are people ready and proactive in mission locally and overseas? Hasn't it been brilliant this morning to to think about Esther, to think about H, these guys that we've sent overseas on mission, and yet we still have a responsibility here as a local church for mission as well. And then finally, under this label of our, our values, it says we will be a compassionate, hospitable, generous people serving with spiritual gifts. Well, as we dig into our scripture reading this morning, we we get to encounter a couple of people who two have grasped the ethics of good news. This idea that if I know something, I have to share it, and that's exactly what they do. These couple of people are are journeying along, and they discover good news from somebody who they thought was dead, but as it turns out, he'd actually come back to life. 
Well, let's join uh, Cleopas and his friend as they're walking from Jerusalem, where they'd been and where they'd witnessed the, the brutal crucifixion of Jesus uh, on Good Friday. And they're on their journey back to Emmaus uh, on Good Sunday, oh, Good Sunday, on Easter Sunday, that first Easter Sunday. Uh, and Emmaus was probably their hometown. They have a surprise and a surprise ing encounter. Uh, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 24 uh, from verse 13 in a couple of chunks to keep the Bible open once you've found it. It says this, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem, about 10 kilometers. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Now, if you or I had been following these guys, or if this was a movie and there was a camera panning behind them as they walked along the road from Jerusalem back to Emmaus, we would have noticed that their heads were hanging low and that they were dragging their feet. It's what my children look like whenever I say no to them. (laughs) It's not fair, that kind of a response. But these guys, in this moment, they're not disgruntled teenagers feeling like life is just not fair, because a parent has refused them something that they've wanted, but here we find two people who are weighed down with the burdens and the discouragements of life. They know what it is to experience disappointment, and they are thoroughly and genuinely heartbroken. Well, Cleopas and a another uh, nameless person, well, they had been followers of Jesus. But three days before the time we encounter them, they'd literally seen all of their hopes and all of their dreams get nailed to a cross and die. Their dream had died, and they have absolutely no idea what to do next. Well, you can imagine their surprise then, can't you, when as they're walking along, a stranger joins them, and initially they don't recognize him, but of course we know the stranger was Jesus. Jesus fresh from his resurrection in a a resurrection body. Well, I wonder, would you have recognized Jesus in that moment? I've been wrestling with that question myself. I I can't remember the last time I saw someone come alive from the dead, and certainly not somebody walking around in a resurrection body. So I'm not sure I would have recognized him. So perhaps, therefore, it's not surprising that they're somewhat ignorant in this moment, and they're confused as to who he was, and they treat him uh, as a stranger. We shouldn't forget, they'd watched him die on the cross. They knew he was dead. Now, if ever you've wrestled with the idea of whether or not Jesus really did come back to life or not, well, here are two first-person witnesses to say Jesus definitely died. We saw him die. We saw him come off the cross. He was dead, but then he came back to life. Here's evidence for the resurrection. Nobody expects to see a dead man walking. Well, if you read on in the story, later Jesus appears to the other disciples in a very similar way, and the other disciples think he's a ghost, and they are utterly freaked out and panicked uh, by the situation, and I think I would be with them. But this stranger comes alongside them, and he says to them, what is it that you've been talking about as you've journeyed from Jerusalem to Emmaus? What a great conversation starter. Why don't you try it this week? Find two people sat having a private conversation in Costa, and then go and sit down next to them and say, what was it you were talking about? See what, see what response you get. But Jesus somehow in this moment manages to, to pull off what I couldn't pull off in Costa, and we pick up their answer to Jesus' inquiry 
from verse 18. Let's read on. It says, One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you really the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Heavy words. But we had hoped. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, and they found it exactly as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. We'll come back to the story in just a moment. Fast forward on just a little bit from this point, and Jesus starts telling them step by step, very patiently, very carefully about why he, the Messiah, had to die such a brutal death. And as he walks alongside them, Jesus just patiently explains, beginning with Moses and then talking through each of the prophets, about how every single book of the Old Testament was pointing towards and predicting the death of the Messiah. The empty tomb was just the outworking of God's great master plan. Jesus did not stay dead. He came back to life. Now, when they reach their home in Emmaus, these two men invite their stranger companion in for supper. And then the text says this, when Jesus took the bread and said the blessing, verse 31, they suddenly recognized him. There was something in this moment that made them suddenly recognize him. And then the story goes on, and then poof, Jesus vanished and disappeared from their sight. How would you have responded in that moment? Freaked out, happy, excited, thrilled, delighted, confused? I wonder what you would be thinking if that happened to you. Jesus, I recognize it's you, and then suddenly he's gone. Well, we can hear the response in verse 32. Just after that had happened, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning as Jesus talked to us. Isn't it brilliant? Because of their encounter with Jesus, these two people were never again the same. The risen Lord Jesus Christ transforms their experience. Jesus opens up their eyes, spiritually speaking. I once was blind, but now I see. You see, a moment in the presence of Jesus changes everything, but they actually had to journey seven miles, 10 kilometers to have that encounter. They had to go on a journey to arrive at that realization. I wonder if you ever find yourself just wrestling with the question that I sense these guys were wrestling with before they realized who Jesus was. Well, is this it? Is this as good as it gets? The the days immediately following that first Easter, these two disciples are absolutely full of despair, we read in verse 17. They stood still. Their faces were were downcast. The message version says they were long-faced. I imagine a horse. They were long-faced like a horse. What a graphic description this is of two people whose hopes and dreams had been utterly crushed. They had faces like a horse. Stop touching Mark's face, Emma. It's not like a horse at all. No one wants to see horse faces. 
in verse 21, the, the faces just get longer. We, we, we hear those fateful words which maybe you found yourself saying at different points in your life as well. We had hoped, but. We had hoped, but. We, we had our hopes raised, but now we've waited three days and nothing has happened. Their, their hope-filled balloon has been well and truly burst in this moment. These men are sad. They're disillusioned. They're confused with the state of the world. Why? Because they had hoped, in their case, that, uh, that they would be delivered from the oppressive regime of, of the Romans. But it seemed like their cause had been, been lost because Jesus' mission quite literally and categorically had, had failed, at least as they interpreted it. Do you ever wrestle with a, with a similar question? Really, is this it? Is this as good as it gets? I'd hoped for, but... And, you know, I just get this sense in this day and age, but maybe it's always been this way because it was like it then as well, that such feelings with despondency about the state of the world and a wrestle with hopelessness hopelessness maybe isn't a a rare experience. It's a a common experience. I think we should remind ourselves of that as we, we think about what it means to be carriers of the good news, that there's a world out there who are wrestling with hopelessness, who really are quite discontented with the way things are and are looking for an answer to their problems and their challenges. It's a commonplace wrestle, and in fact, probably it's getting worse. I read a report earlier this week from the Mental Health Foundation, and it said that 51% of people surveyed said they felt down, depressed, or hopeless with the state of the world. 51% of people. Maybe that's how you feel today. Down, depressed, hopeless, despondent. Is this as good as it gets? I'd really hope for, but... Well, the report goes on, and it even makes for really quite depressing reading, to be quite honest. It says this in conclusion. Over 50% of the population are living with a normalized sense of hopelessness. A normalized sense of hopelessness. This is what life is supposed to be about. It's normalized, hopelessness. Surely that can't be healthy. Of course, the list of things that can make us feel down and hopeless and depressed um, is much longer than we have opportunity to cover this morning. But can I remind us of what I said at the very beginning, that Jesus can take our hopelessness and turn it into endless hope, that he can take our ashes, he can make them beautiful, he can take our mourning, he can turn them into joy, he can turn our despair into praise. Without the grace of Jesus, we have a hopeless end, but with the grace of Jesus, we have an endless hope. These two disciples in Luke 24 knew what it was to have their hearts broken and have their dreams shattered, but when they encounter the risen Lord Jesus Christ, their eyes are opened and their hope is restored. In fact, their hope gets supercharged. Their hopeless end was converted into endless hope. Verse 32 again, were not our hearts burning within us as Jesus talked with us on the road? They're able to look back with hindsight and say, look, Jesus was working even when we didn't realize it was him. Jesus was revealing himself to us, even though we didn't spot it and we came to spot it later. Jesus was there. He was in our presence. He says, didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road, as he opened up the scriptures for us? What a contrast between the verse of despair, verse 17, and where they end up in verse 32. Their broken, hopeless hearts are replaced with hearts that are burning with confident hope and a sense of excitement. That's the difference that Jesus made then, and I still believe it's the difference that Jesus makes in the lives of people today. Well, what do we learn from this story of these two men on the Emmaus Road? There's confident hope when people listen to Jesus. 
There's confident hope when people discover Jesus for who he really is, not for who they think he is. There's confident hope when people choose to walk with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And as these two men discovered in this moment, it's the resurrection of Jesus that is the basis for our hope. Without Jesus, an alive and kicking Jesus, we are without hope, and we will live our lives with faces like horses. Please don't have a face like a horse. If you've discovered Christ and his resurrection, then you have a hope that should turn your horse-like face into a different type of face. Peter said something very similar without offending people and calling them horses. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 In his great mercy, you see, it's all about what God has done, not about anything we could have done ourselves. In his great mercy, God has given us a gift. Now, if you're going to receive a gift, you've got to have hands that are ready to receive it. He gives us a gift, and the gift is new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, this isn't just hope. This is living hope. This is supercharged hope. And you know, the longer I've been a Christian and followed Jesus, and and in fact, the more complex the problems of the world seem to become, the more I believe this truth to the very core of my being, that it's only Jesus who can give me a living hope. I can't find it anywhere else. I've looked, I've tried, and I don't discover it. The world has looked, it's tried, and it's still looking to find a reason for living, a living hope. Jesus came not only to bring hope, but he is our hope. He's not a dead hope, he's a living hope. Knowing Jesus, as Peter clearly articulates, we find and we're given new birth into a living hope. Without Jesus, there is no new birth and there is no living hope. That's what these two men discovered on the road to to Emmaus. The word speaks and he brings transformation. That's what I discovered as I wrestled with the things of Jesus. Jesus spoke. I heard him, not with an audible voice, but through a flurry of thoughts. And some of them stood out more than another. The word speaks and transformation came into my life, which is eternal. It's what so many of us have discovered. We could go around the room this morning and hear story after story of Jesus speaks, however he speaks, and our eyes get opened and new life, life in all of its fullness begins for us. You know, we really are carriers of good news. And it was this discovery which quite literally changed the eternity of these men in our story in the same way it changed my eternity. But you'll notice what these two men did not do is they did not keep the good news to themselves. What did they do in response? Well, let's find out. Verse 33. We're not our hearts burning within us. They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and he has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke uh, the bread. What they don't do is selfishly hoard this transformation experience for themselves. Their immediate response to the good news was to run 10 kilometers. When was the last time you ran 10K? I wonder if you ran 10 kilometers on the day that you discovered, if you've come to that place yet, this good news about Jesus with one desire, which was to go and tell somebody else, you know, when you go for a 10K run, it can be pretty inconvenient. It's time-consuming takes me 41 minutes. How long would it take you? (laughs) Wouldn't really. That's really quick. It can be inconvenient when Jesus says to us, go back to the place where you've just come from. There can be cost. There can be sacrifice. But you'll notice this. Because of their 10-kilometer run, I know the text doesn't say they ran. It's okay. 
because of their 10-kilometer run to tell other disciples, they birthed a mission movement which is still happening today. That's what happened. They birthed a mission movement which is still happening today. And we're part of that story. We're a continuation of that mission story that was birthed here in Christchurch today. A ministry of telling those, uh, of those who know, telling those who don't know. A ministry of sharing good news. Jesus delighted in sharing that good news with these two disciples. And he delights in still sharing that same message, that same good news with the world around us today. So these two guys hot-footed back to Jerusalem. They tell their friends, the other disciples, everything that's happened. And whilst they're telling their friends what's happened, guess what happens? Verse 36, Jesus turns up. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And the model is still exactly the same today. Jesus reveals himself to us. We discover good news. We find life in all of its fullness. We discover life which has a a living hope, uh, which is a living hope that only Jesus can give. And as we tell others about what Jesus has done, Jesus turns up and he speaks peace into the situation. He opens up the eyes and minds of other people and he brings change and transformation into the lives of those people that we are sharing with. The Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then there's a promise, and surely I am with you. I am with you to the very end of the age. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that reassuring. That when I tell others about Jesus, the promise is that Jesus will turn up, and he will do the really difficult thing that I cannot do, which is to open the minds and the eyes of others who are listening. If you read on to verse 45, talking about the disciples, it says, Jesus opened up their minds so that they could understand. Without the ministry of Jesus working by his spirit and turning up when we share this good news, no one's eyes will be open and no one's minds will be able to understand. But we still have a job to do, and and our job is to be faithful carriers of that message. So isn't this fun? We're just continuing a ministry which Cleopas, who, who, by the way, was a pretty unknown disciple. There's nothing remarkable about him. So if God can use Cleopas, he can use me. And his nameless friend started centuries before us. The ministry of those who know, telling those who don't know. And as we do that, Jesus promises to be with us. So what on earth has all that got to do with a build project? Absolutely Nothing but absolutely everything. You see, it's got nothing whatsoever to do with the build project. If we think of a build project as just being bricks and mortar, this text has nothing to say about bricks and mortar. But it has everything to say about the mission and the ministry of Jesus. Our build project is not about bricks and mortar, but it is about the mission and the ministry of Jesus. You'll notice on your little booklets in front of you that It says there that we're building for mission and ministry. It does not say we're building for contentment and coziness. There's a reason why we're building. It's for mission and it's for ministry. So in fact, this story has everything to do with our build project in the sense that our new building will give us the ability to do this mission and this ministry which started here on the Emmaus Road even more effectively than we are already doing it. Our building is but one resource of many resources that we can use for the spreading of this good news, this gospel. Buildings are not the mission. They're not the ministry. And the minute they become the mission and the ministry, let's give up and not bother. 
But for as long as our desire is about sharing the good news of Jesus and inviting others to know the thing that we've come to know, then let's build. Then let's build. We've reached this really exciting moment in our journey together as, as a church family. And I, I can't tell you how grateful I am that I'm doing this with a family because I, I wouldn't want to do this on my own. It's an exciting moment, and yet at the same time, it's absolutely terrifying. Anyone else feeling terrified? Jesus comes and he speaks his peace. He speaks his peace. It's exciting because we just went through a planning process and our application has been approved and we are ready to build. Well, with a bit more work. But we are ready to build. The only thing we lack is the necessary funds to actually start building. It's exciting. In a sense, our, our fundraising journey for this leg of our, fund, uh, of, of our project begins today. And the invitation to you is to become part of the story and to journey with us. And whilst it's really exciting, at the same time, it's absolutely terrifying because what I see in front of me is a massive mountain. In fact, it's a three million pound mountain, to be quite honest. I find that absolutely terrifying. Into that, Jesus speaks his peace, as he did to those early disciples. Don't be terrified. I speak my peace that your fear would go. It's terrifying. And yet, all the same time, it's an exciting one because as a, as a church, we've got this incredible backstory of God's faithfulness, especially when it comes to issues around buildings. If you were around, probably, I can't even remember the dates now, but seven or eight years ago, the story's in the booklet here. Suddenly, the property over the road came on the market. We had no intention of buying another property. And within the space of about three or four months, we'd secured half a million pounds so that we could actually buy the property over there, which is ultimately where the new building is going to go. 51 Bargates is the address. Half a million pounds came in three months. Part of that was a bridging loan from the Baptist Union, which we were allowed to have for 10 years, and we paid it off in two. God is faithful. Where God guides, he always provides. So yes, we face a mountain. And when you face a mountain, you should feel intimidated because it's a very long way up a mountain. Way back in June 2019, uh, Andrew Ollerton, who, who wrote the Bible course, some of us, or lots of us, did the Bible course. It was brilliant. He came to speak at one of our services, and, and he said this, not knowing that we we're engaging in this build project. He said, be wholeheartedly courageous. Allow faith, not fear, to be your uniting principle, and then you will write a story which is beyond that which, humanly speaking, you could have achieved. Now is the time to consolidate. It's time to step forward in faith and in confidence. Do not give fear the microphone. Isn't that a brilliant line? Wish I'd written that. Do not give fear the microphone, but put God in first place, and then we put fear in its place. And I can't tell you how many times we've kept coming back to, to that word that we sense God gave to Andrew Ollerton of not giving fear the microphone. We take the microphone away from fear and we give it to our Savior and say, speak loudly. So we did all that. That takes us as far as March 2020. And in March 2020, we publicly launched this. Do you remember it? Our 2020 vision. We sold the vision. We, we spoke about what an amazing mission asset our new building is going to be. We said that we've just submitted two weeks ago a, a planning uh, consent, and then life happened. Do you remember March 2020? COVID hit, and all our plans went to 
rack and ruin. And then during COVID, our planning application was turned down by the local authority. It was a mountain in front of us, but still it was a mountain we sensed God was calling us to climb. So our 2020 vision was put in the bin, quite literally. Still got about 300 of these brochures if anyone wants to buy one. They're, they're a million pounds each. <laughs> 2020 vision is gone. Well, 2020 vision, what was that all about? Well, the site over the road, you might know, used to have an opticians in it. They've now moved out. To have perfect vision, which we believe is what God had given us, is to have 2020 vision. That's where the name came from. And then, of course, people associated the year 2020, which was the year when we launched it, to the project name. So we've ditched 2020, and today we've rebranded the project, as you'll see, as Project 5.1. Why Project 5.1? Several reasons. One is that the site we're looking to develop is 51 bar gates. What percentage of people felt down and despondent with the state of the world? What percentage was that? 51%. Interesting. Wouldn't it be amazing if our development on the site of 51 did something to knock down that despondency rate in the population of Christchurch? But also Project 5.1, which is why we say it Project 5.1 rather than Project 51, is we wanted to try and find a, a scripture verse that actually just captured everything that I've already been saying this morning and that kind of told the story of who we're about and what we're about as a church. And Galatians 5.1 was it. It is for freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And I can't tell you how encouraged I am as I saw the children leaving, just sensing some of our children and young people. That will be the building that they get baptized in as they publicly profess who Jesus is. I just imagine in my mind's ear, this sound. I think I've just broken something. <laughs> Wouldn't that just be the most amazing sound as we develop this mission asset that we hear change just thudding to the floor as we use this tool to speak the good news of Jesus. Those who know something have got a responsibility to share it, and we want to do that as effectively as we can. So the branding is different. 2020 Vision has become Project 5.1, but the mission is still the same. It's not a building for a building's sake. It's a building for mission and for ministry. It's but one tool that we sense God is going to give us to be even more effective in the mission that he's called us to. I want to encourage you today to take away this booklet and to read it. It tells the story of God's faithfulness right back to the very inception of these buildings. There's even a pretty picture of what we think is probably this building. People back then spent a massive sum of money, 1,000 pounds. But it was a huge sum of money back then. They stepped out in faith to, to leave a legacy that we're still enjoying today. And I'm so grateful to God that they did that. I hear the challenge from God for me today, Chris, step out in faith with your church family to leave a legacy that will bless the generations to come as well. But to this book tells the story of our ongoing mission. It tells the story of how we've run out of room to do our mission and our ministry effectively. It tells the story of a set of buildings that at this point in our journey, in our history, are just not fit for purpose and we've got to do something about it. But two, it speaks out a vision for us in the future of who we're going to be, a, a people who are in the center of the community bringing change and transformation in Jesus' name to the lives of those who don't yet know him. And I simply want to invite you this morning to play your part, whatever your part is, be it very large yellow bricks or 
be it slightly smaller red bricks or be it the chicken that will sit on the roof? Would you play your part? And it might be this morning as you sit there, you're just thinking, well, actually, I don't have the resources to give, and, and we entirely respect that. Would you be an Olivia? Would you pray for our project constantly and continually? Would you be a Mark? Would you stand there and encourage those who are able to give and those who are able to leave the project to see this vision fulfilled? You see, every single part of this project matters, and if one bit is withheld, then it doesn't get completed, and we don't see the fulfillment of the vision. I wonder what God might be stirring you to give or to contribute. I don't want you to rush in that decision-making either. And we're going to have a gift day or a pledge day, and it, it might be that you're able to give a gift on that day or even before. On Sunday, the 1st of October, an easy-to-remember date, the 1st of October, and on that day, it would be so amazing if folk could come ready to give their gifts or express what gift they're able to give. But too, on that day, we're going to have a pledge day as well, we're fully anticipating that we probably will um, apply for a, a bridging loan from the Baptist Union or a similar organization so that we can get the building underway sooner rather than later. But for that to happen, we need to know that there's a financial commitment behind us for this project. And on this little response sheet that you'll find within your booklet, you will discover there's the opportunity to say, look, I can't give now, or I can give now, but I definitely want to give in an ongoing way into the future. And I'd encourage you to use the next four or five months, however long it is, until the 1st of October, to think about your finances, to think about if there's a way of organizing them so that you can join in, in a really big way, or perhaps in a really small kind of a way. But whatever you're able to give, can I say to you, thank you. Because your gift is going to bring change, and it's going to bring transformation, possibly eternal transformation, into the lives of somebody who doesn't yet know Jesus. What greater investment could we possibly make? As we walk this road, Jesus walks with us. As we walk this road, we get to know Jesus better. There's a, there's a real payoff in this. As we walk this road, our hearts will be stirred, stirred to share the good news with others, stirred to get to know Jesus better, maybe stirred too to, to give in some kind of a way. As we walk this road, and it might be costly and it might be sacrificial, we might have to run seven miles or ten kilometers. But when we do that, another person might just find freedom in Christ. And we'll hear the thud of another chain falling to the floor. There is hope for the hopeless. 51% of people living in Christ, in Christ church live with a normalized sense of despondency. Let's do something about that because we've discovered Jesus, our living hope. My chains are gone. My heart is free when I come to know and love Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you today for this fantastic story of these two guys on the Emmaus Road. And, and Lord, I thank you that, in a sense, Cleopas was kind of a, a nobody, really, an unknown individual, an unknown disciple, that, Lord, this other nameless individual, um, two normal people just going about your mission and your ministry, and, Lord, we, we count ourselves this morning in their company. We count ourselves this morning, those who just offer ourselves to join in with whatever it is that you are doing in this, your world. 
And Lord, if there's one thing we can be absolutely sure of, it's that you are totally passionate about others discovering this good news of Jesus. Thank you for the reminder today that you are the way, you are the truth, that you are the life, that no one comes to the Father except through you. Wow, what a burden of responsibility you've given to us to share that good news. But Lord, thank you that you are with us every single step of the way as we seek to do it. And Lord, today we face a mountain, but we choose to break that mountain down into small parts. We choose to climb the mountain as a unified, together family of God. And when we do that, and we take part, and we join in in whatever way we can do that, Lord, we know that your vision will be fulfilled, because where you guide, you always provide. When brothers and sisters dwell together in unity... It's there that God commands a blessing. Lord, we don't mind what the gift is that you seek to give us. But we know you know how to give good gifts to your children. Lord, it's terrifying. To which I just hear you say, have my peace. And Lord, it's exciting. Lord, we choose to partner with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. O hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Hear those chains clunking. I'm not going to stamp my foot. O God, you have done great things. So let's thank our amazing God for the great things that he has done and that he's continuing to do. Please stand.
It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burned again by a yoke of slavery. And a blessing that comes at the end of Galatians, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters in Christ, family in Christ. Amen. Amen. Please do be seated. Well, thank you uh, so much for being with us this morning. We're a bit over time, and it's okay, because I get paid triple rates if I go over, so (laughs) it's all good. Um, Can I encourage you, please, even though we're over time, do head out the back to the Christian Centre, the building behind this one, just to kind of have a look at the work that the children have been doing as they've been thinking about how we care for our creation, uh, thinking about how we can partner with bin twinning. They've made a junk modelling ocean, and it's going to be entered for a competition, and the hope is they're going to win the competition. They win some litter pickers, and then we send them into the streets of Christchurch to go and pick up litter, which is what they're going to do next weekend. Uh, we've borrowed other litter pickers. We're not being so presumptuous to think we're definitely going to win. God bless you all. Thank you so much for being with us today. Please do take the booklets. If you need spare copies of them, take them, um, enjoy them. And we look forward together to seeing what God is going to do amongst us in the days ahead. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Thank you. Yeah.